everyone. Welcome to the Bulletproof Hygiene Podcast, where mistakes are welcome, nothing is off limits, and growth is inevitable. I am Sharissa Wood. I'm Brittany Simon. And we are putting our brains together to bring you the tools you need to elevate your hygiene practice, build amazing team culture, and provide patients with the very best care. Our mission is to help empower and equip every hygienist to practice purposeful, profitable hygiene. We look to guide you on your journey towards career fulfillment by providing support, collaboration, and community to our profession. As two of the top producing hygienists in the country, we know firsthand that these things lead to sustainable and fulfilling practice and the happy side effect of high profitability. So let's get to it. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the week of the Bulletproof Hygiene Podcast. We are here today to talk about what it means to be a confident So why is being confident key in doing what we do every single day? So professionals who demonstrate confidence within work are over 50% more successful than those struggling with self-confidence. Having confidence as a clinician is central to high-level performance and advancement within your career. Being certain of your abilities, qualities, and ability to judge situations makes you more efficient. Confidence is to overcome fear and allows us to ask questions we may require and retreat with complete certainty. Confidence has been linked to increased performance for athletes, politicians, and entrepreneurs, leading to great success within their field. If you're looking to progress and be the very best in practice, your confidence needs to be strong. I'm super excited that we're talking about this today because I've had a lot of hygienists talk to me, ask and reach out through our Mighty Network and just ask some questions about this because, you know, anytime we are learning something new, um, you know, we, we want to feel comfortable with it before we kind of put it out there. So we kind of feel like we've got to master something before we can really start to present it and talk about it and share it with patients. And so a lot of times we let that lack of confidence hold us back. And, um, you know, I don't think there's a lot of room for that in light of the responsibility that we have in hygiene and what we're doing every day when it comes to our patient's health. So I think really getting focused on mastering our confidence and, you know, exuding that on the daily is super, super important for us being successful, um, not just for the practice and, you know, obviously for profitability and growth and referrals and all that sort of thing, but really for the patient's health. Because think about it, you know, if we go to the doctor and we've got an issue and they, you know, do their assessments and look at us and they're saying, well, maybe you should do this or you could possibly do that. And we, we start questioning, like, do you know what you're talking about? Do, do I want to move forward with this? Do I want to do this? So I think we've got to, this is going to, this is one of those things to me that I think we really need to be growth minded in and really take a step back and determine where are we strong in it and where do we need to work on it? I love what you just said. I just wanted to interject here because I love that you just said we need to master our confidence because I think that we all wait to master a skill, like meaning we wait to work quote unquote perfect at it to start implementing it. And that's where sometimes I think we go wrong as people who are typically and generally speaking, like kind of perfectionistic, those A-type personalities, like we kind of lean toward the perfectionism, meaning like overthinking um, paralysis analysis, like that sort of thing. And of course, like we have to be competent in our clinical skills. Like we have to, there's a certain amount of actual mastery we need right before we start doing something or trying something new on our patients. Right. We have to like master it to some extent, but there is that like tipping point where there's only so much 
practice warm-up CE we can do before we actually have to start implementing it and kind of take a small risk by trying something new with patients. So new verbiage, new products, new instruments, new, new, whatever. So it's kind of like, you know, after we hone as much clinical competence as we can without setting the bar at perfectionism, we've got to just be able to deliver whatever the information is or the new skill is with confidence and just accept like, I'm going to be imperfect at this for a while, but I'm going to do my best and I know what I'm doing and I have, you know, learned and trained and blah, 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 and be confident in that, you know, but, but there is a certain amount of needing to, to hone the skill of being confident and portraying confidence in communication and education with our patients. Yeah. I, I'm going to bounce off what you just said, because it made me think like, I want to flip the script a little bit on what confidence means to us, because I think, and I could be wrong, but I think a lot of us view confidence as, hey, I'm going to do this and it's not going to be scary. You know, I'm going to do this and I'm not going to feel uncomfortable and Mm -hmm. not what confidence is. Confidence is saying, and this is where for me as a hygienist, this is where it comes from for me. My confidence comes from the fact that I want to do the best for my patients. I want to take the best care of them and give them the best opportunities for their own health and wellness. So if that's the posture I'm standing in, and that's what I'm confidently standing in, then I can be free to be uncomfortable and uncertain when something new comes along that I don't know to say to my patient, Hey, I don't know this really well yet, but I'm really, I know this is, we're going somewhere with this and I'm dedicated to learning it. And we're going to journey on this together. So I don't have to have all the answers and I don't have to be comfortable in those minor steps along the way, but I can be confident and comfortable in knowing that I'm dedicated to doing what it's going to take. So I think there's, you know, we get, we get uncomfortable with something and think, oh, I I don't know how to do this. And so then we stop versus thinking, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to just learn this and I'm going to be confident that I'm going to get it at some point. And I'm dedicated to that. I think we have to keep in mind that when our patients come to see us, the two biggest barriers to patients getting the care they need are trust and fear. You know, they may have been burned in the past at other practices where they, you know, I saw a patient yesterday who had um, some really horrible dental experiences and he was not shy in sharing them. He's, he's actually getting ready to go through a lawsuit with them. He had some really, really awful things happen. And so, you know, he's walking the door and he's kind of got his guard up and the walls up because he got burned and he doesn't have that trust. Um, You know, we absolutely on the daily see patients that are fearful and anxious from previous experiences that were uncomfortable or painful or um, all of that. So in order to alleviate both of those things, that trust aspect, that fear aspect, we've got to practice from a place of confidence and honestly, not the fake it till you make it kind. Um, that can only take us so far, but I'm talking about the kind of confidence that really hinges on competence. Um, and being a good leader means knowing where you need to grow and doing it. So like I was saying, like being set in the place of, Hey, I'm going to do what's best for you. And if I don't know that, like, and I can say that honestly, very in a vulnerable way right now, as I'm traversing, you know, salivary diagnostics, I don't know all the answers. Mm -hmm. You know, there's some patients I'm getting results back. I'm like, I don't know exactly what I need to do here. I got to figure this out. I got to talk with the patient. I got to get some outside support and being okay with that and not feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm a failure. I don't know how to, I don't know what I'm doing. It's, it's knowing that, Hey, I have a lack here and I'm going to grow in it. 
If you've got another hygienist or another team member in your practice that's really knocking it down on something, whatever it is, and that's an area you're not strong in, go to them and say, hey, could you mentor me? Could you help me? Could you support me? That's where confidence comes from. I think confidence comes more from failing and then getting back up and learning than it does from being successful the whole time. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, you know, obviously patients sense it when we get unsure, we come across as like flippant or scared or meek. Um, Because every day we are leading them through the heart of accepting and owning disease, evaluating and choosing options for care and investing their time and finances in the solution. So in that regard, confidence really does matter. So like you said, of course, we've got to be confident in our skills. And if we're not, that's where we start. You know, go to a course, take some CE, lean on people who do it better, figure that out, get really competent in your skills. Mm-hmm. Also getting comfortable in our delivery of how we're talking to patients about it and present with authority, not willing to compromise their care. And I think that's what happens to a lot of hygienists that I talk to. Like we almost feel like we get railroaded with patients because we we know what's going on. We've taken our assessments. We see what's happening. We know the situation. Patients don't understand it from our vantage point. And so we start to give them, you know, some bad news um, and they will, you know, have that normal response of denial or anger or whatever that is. And they come at us with that. And then we immediately kind of get meek and we're like, okay, well, I mean, I guess we could do that next time instead of confidently saying, hey, look, you come to see me because I want to take the best care of you and I'm not willing to compromise your care. I know that here is not going to look better in six months. It is actually going to compound. We're going to have a bigger problem. Let's talk about how we can take care of this today because that's what your is to take the very best care of you. So I know we're going to be talking today. Obviously, confidence is a skill that we can develop and hone. Um, and it's like a muscle. The more we do it, the more we build it. So that's why we wanted to come at you guys with this podcast today is how do you do that? What are some active ways that we can build that muscle and, and make ourselves stronger in this? Um, exuding confidence can also help. Obviously, I know we're talking about in our operatories and our practices, but obviously in our personal lives and our relationships. Um, and to exude confidence, you've got to work on your body language your speaking style, and your overall attitude. Um, You know, obviously when you're speaking to a patient, you want to make sure you stand tall. You're using an even voice. You're making eye contact while talking. You're working, work on feeling confident overall yourself. And there's actually been some studies done showing that if you will use some confident posture at the beginning of your day, while you're getting ready in the morning, while you're standing in front of the mirror, um, you know, do that Wonder Woman pose where you've got your hands on your hips and your, you know, your shoulders upright and you're standing confidently and you're looking yourself in the eye. There's actually some psychology of what happens in your brain in that process. So I know it sounds like hokey and woo woo, but if this is an area you feel like you're struggling in, start there in the morning when you're getting ready. Look at yourself, stand that way, tell yourself, I'm going to kill it today. Um, mm-hmm. Surprise with what it can bring. Um, and then I think just embracing who you are as a person obviously will help you overcome fear of being judged. Because I think that's the other flip side of this is we, not only do we have our own insecurities in our head of what I do or don't know, but then now we are projecting that onto people around us of what we, what we think they think of us, um, whether that's team members or patients or whatever. And then that holds us back too. So I think just getting grounded in who you are as a provider, you don't look like everybody else and you shouldn't because you're not everybody else. We all have our own unique build. 
And it's really important for us to be who we are. Right. A hundred percent. And circling back to language, I was very surprised and interested to learn that only about 7% of communication is the actual words that we use. About 38% is our tone of voice and 55% is our body language. So body language is a huge piece of the puzzle. Um, obviously, it can really help us to exude confidence, read our patients and make them feel more comfortable with us. So we're going to dive into some tips on how we can use body language to increase our confidence and how uh, and how to influence like how our patients are perceiving us. So practicing good posture. So posture actually has a big effect on the way that others perceive us. So if you sit up straight, you're going to look more comfortable. Slouching gives the impression of nervousness. Um, it's important to make an effort to be aware of your posture throughout the day so that you come across as confident to those around you, including colleagues, coworkers, and patients. So some physical tips are focus on keeping your head up and your shoulders back throughout the day. This can make you look one, taller, make you appear bolder and more confident in the workplace. Refrain from slumping your shoulders or looking downward as this is going to make you look smaller physically in stature and, and with a relatively straight posture. So another way to kind of come across as more confident is to gesticulate when you talk. So charismatic people tend to gesticulate and charismatic people in general are perceived as more confident. So if you want to look more confident, be aware of your hands when you're talking. Try to move your hands slightly to, to illustrate or emphasize certain points. Gesticulating during conversation can help you come off as more confident and a little more charismatic. If, there are many different ways that you can gesticulate. So you can move your hands with the rhythm of your words. You can also use your hands to illustrate something. You can, for example, draw a shape in the air when you try and describe a type of building, for instance. So just like when we talked about mirroring and matching in other episodes, it's important that we don't kind of fake this or overemphasize, or overemphasize it or overdo it. So if you're moving your hands wildly, obviously your gesticulation can start to look out of control, which won't be perceived as confident. So try and keep your hand motion steady while gesticulating. Yeah, I think plug a book really quick as we're talking about body language. If this is something that's intriguing you and you want to know more, there's a really great book out um, called Cues by Vanessa Van Edwards. It really, really goes deep into this. And it's so interesting. And Brittany, when you were talking about, you know, sitting upright and in your posture, um, she talks a lot about too, about, you know, one of the ways we bring warmth, because obviously if we're trying to gain a patient's trust and help them, you know, kind of overcome their fears, you want them to feel comfortable with us. So you want to kind of exude some of these, what she calls warmth cues. So yes, you want to you know, sit upright and look confident, like, you know, what you're talking, but you also want to kind of sometimes that leaning in, even though mm -hmm. a little bit, but leaning into them really shows that you're listening and you're interested and you're trying to connect with them. So I just to plug this book because if, if you like this kind of psychology and, and uh, this concept of body language and psychology, it's a good one. So check it out. Um, but going on, I want to talk about refraining from fidgeting. Um, fidgeting is one of the biggest signs of anxiousness. So make sure you do that. And that's things like, you know, like rubbing your neck and like picking your fingernails or playing with your earrings, tapping your legs, picking at things. Um, you know, it just, it makes it almost seem like you're going inward, um, and you're not quite sure what you want to say. So unless you're using those, um, gestation 
gestational movements to gesticulating, strive to keep your body movements relatively still. And keep in mind that you may be fidgeting without realizing it. Sometimes that's kind of a nervous habit. Um, and so just start to be more conscious of your body movements. You may catch yourself fidgeting more than you realize. Um, next is adopt a more open body posture. Holding yourself in an open body position can also help you to exude confidence. Some things you can do to keep an open body posture look like lean back and relax. Leaning forward can indicate that you're anxious. But again, I also said it could make it look like you're trying to connect. So one thing I'll say is if you're interested in this and it makes sense to you, start paying attention to what you do. I've noticed that with, with my patients, when I first come in and I sit down and I'm talking to them, I have a very open, I'm turned toward them. If I cross my legs, I'm turning my legs, I'm crossing it inwards toward them. I'm showing them that I'm here for you. I'm open to you. Um, allow to rest comfortably on your lap or your sides, not, you know, crossed across your chest like you're closed off. Um, face the person you're speaking with. This gets really easy for us in hygiene to, to kind of lose sight of this because for a lot of us, our computers might be behind them or off to the side. So I try to always go in and do a face-to-face, -face, hey, how are you? What's going on? How's life? And then I might move back behind them as I'm starting to kind of drop my note in and start to fill it out. And I just kind of move like back and forth as I'm looking at them asking them questions um, to know that I am engaged and I am listening. Um, and then don't cross your legs or at least away from them or turn your body away. Um, keep, try to keep your feet worn side by side. Um, because again, that crossing can make you look closed off and insecure. Um, and I think that it's important to note, like what you just said, there are certain, there are certain little things like nuanced things that I think are like, when we really kind of hone this skill. And if we really want to dive deep, like crossing your legs specifically toward the person, like there, there are these little nuanced things that kind of help us help the person to feel like we are connecting with them more. Like it enhances the connection instead of like, um, looking more resigned or closed off. Like there, there are little things that I'm sure that people can discover in the book that you just recommended too. So another one of the simplest ways that we can really improve our communication and enrollment um, and help us to come across as more confident to our patients is by preparing and practicing verbiage. So preparing verbiage is essentially an exact script for explaining common hygiene procedures like applying fluoride and offering nitrous and non-surgical periotherapy to patients. It's something requires that requires generally some time on the front end to do, but it's going to save you an extraordinary amount of time and frustration on the back end in our everyday life. So this is something that, yeah, it's probably not going to happen during work hours, or maybe it does if you have downtime or you have um, uh, a cancellation or a missed appointment and no one needs help. Like maybe you can work on some verbiage at work or just after work, you can whittle away at it little by little. Um, it involves a little bit of time to write out that verbiage and discover kind of what's most comfortable and feels most natural to you while delivering the information in a clear and concise fashion. But on the back end, once we really kind of perfect what we want to say, or it becomes common knowledge to us, it becomes practiced, it makes our lives just so much easier. So verbiage framework generally should be very specific, um, but not rigid. It should be written in a way that others can use your verbiage and essentially make it their own. So I recommend printing your verbiage and sharing with your team to help calibrate your collective practice message to patients too. That will help ensure that you feel more confident 
when you're seeing someone who has seen other providers because it creates this continuity of care and calibration within your practice if you work on a team of several hygienists. So having set verbiage allows you to work on autopilot and save time and creates practice continuity. So we exude confidence when presenting treatment because we have tried and true plan. And this plan may look different for different clinicians, but with any treatment conversation, there are a few essential components that I think should be there that also like designing your verbiage. There should be some methodology to this. There should be some um, method to the madness or there, there should be some standardization in how we are presenting information in what order and what the specific components are. So anytime I'm communicating what treatment is necessary for a patient, I'm talking about one, what I'm recommending, two, why I'm recommending it, three, what the outcome will most likely be if we choose to do nothing about it, four, the value as it applies to the patient. So that, that part of it is circling back to the chief complaint. So if a person's chief complaint is whitening, but they also have perio and I'm recommending perio trays to treat their disease. I'm also going to hit on the whitening aspect of the side effect of whitening with the perio trays to make sure that their chief complaint is addressed. Um, five is the cost is always going to be the last thing that I mentioned. So if, if a patient hears cost first, sometimes that will cause them to make a decision solely based on the cost before they know how beneficial the services I'm recommending are. And then six, and the last part of this, last component of this is normalizing these procedures by sharing that it's helped so many other patients and that other patients have said yes to the same solution. So this is standardization, kind of like in the way of verbiage, it's creating, it's just creating confidence through repetition. Yeah. And I think when, when we're talking about creating verbiage, I think it can be, it should be a team sport. You know, if you've got somebody on your team that's better at, you know, verbiage in general and, and writing things out and organizing that, you know, ask them to help with, with that. Ask them, you know, do a, do a team meeting or a hygiene team meeting and say, hey guys, we're implementing something new. Say we're bringing Bellscope into the practice and we, we'd like to get some verbiage around that. Sit down as a team together and kind of put, put that together with what Brittany just said, you know, why we're recommending this, what it's about, what, you know, all of the different components. And then, the, and this is what we've done in our practice. And we've got one for Velscope where we made sure we hit all those points. We put it together, we printed it out and we kind of committed to memorizing it. And now at this point, I can say it in my sleep at night, but it's clear, it's concise. And I can say it confidently to the patient because I know it so well, I don't have to, you know, really trudge my way through it. So on that front, I want to talk about how do we speak confidently to our patients? Um, and I always say, you know, a clear voice, you know, that we're not fumbling over our words. We're not speaking too soft or too loud um, because that can make us seem uncontrolled and unsure. Um, but if we're using a clear controlled voice, then obviously we seem like we're more confident about what we're saying and try to speak in a manner that allows others to easily understand our words. I think a lot of times, a lot of people, when we get nervous or uncertain about something, we'll start talking really fast um, and that we can lose our patience in that. So slow down, take your time, read your patient too. Look at, are they making eye contact with you? Or does it seem like they're understanding? Are they kind of nodding along? Or are they kind of staring off and they're, you know, they're not getting it. Check in with them. Um, but 
slow down, use a clear voice. Um, and if you're nervous by nature, like practice, you know, when, when I created verbiage for Bellscope for myself, I literally would say it in the car over and over. I, I memorized it to the point where I just knew it and it was easy. Um, so any of our procedures that we're doing like that, sealants, you know, perioprotect trays, salivary testing, whatever it is, um, I encourage you to kind of put that together. And then that way you will be able to speak very confidently about it. Not only is speaking really important, but I would argue that listening is maybe more important because I always say to my patients, look, I work for you. It is your mouth. You get to make all the calls. My job is to show you everything I'm seeing. And, and I do mean show them with all the photos and x-rays and let them really see what's going on and then present you with the options to take care of this so that you can make the best choice for yourself. If I'm doing all the talking, they don't have the opportunity to ask questions and process it and think through themselves. So listening is a huge part of that. So really confidence comes from asking a lot of questions and isn't that scary because we don't know what they're gonna ask. And then we get in our heads, I'm like, well, what if they ask something and I don't know the answer to that? So we tend to just like trudge along and keep going with what we have to say and not stop to check in because we get a little un unsure. So again, if we're rooted in that confidence of like, hey, I don't, let me just tell you this first and foremost, I don't know all the answers. I don't have it all. If we know that in our own heads and then when a patient says something that we may not know the answer to, we can confidently say, hey, that's a great question. I'm not sure, but let's find out together. Mm -hmm. So listening, checking in, reading your patient is super, super important. Um, you know, confidence doesn't mean being loud or argumentative, obviously, um, but confident people should be secure enough in themselves and their opinions um, and what they do and don't know that they don't feel the need to dominate the conversation. Always be speak, allowing someone to politely disagree with you actually makes you look more confident, right? I, I, patients, I don't know everything that a patient has going on in their lives. I don't know what their stress levels like, what's happening at home, what their financial situation looks like. So I can say what I think they need, but there's a whole other world on the other side of that conversation that I don't know. And I've got to give that patient space and grace to kind of talk through it and think about it and us work together to make the best decisions. So strive to allow your patients to talk as least, at least as much as you do. Um, I'm going to hop in really quick and just say, I know a lot of us tend to get sucked into talking more about ourselves and our personal lives than we do about the patient or theirs, or more about their personal life than we do about their clinical needs. So I just wanted to kind of chase that rabbit of try to stay focused on what you're doing there for their health and their mouth. Um, and after you finish the sentence or make a point, pause to allow the other person to respond. Show that you're listening as well. You want to use those nonverbal cues, such as nodding, smiling when appropriate, um, keeping that eye contact to de demonstrate that you're paying attention to them as well. Yes, and I think that what kind of goes along with, you know, listening, you know, speaking in a certain way is also learning to speak up um, and be more assertive and direct. So speaking our mind really without apology. So oftentimes people who are more nervous by nature have a tendency to either avoid or diminish expressing their opinions. So this type of personality may, for example, not speak up when they disagree or begin um, something by saying, I'm sorry to disagree, but so pre-framing with an apology 
for just having an opinion, right? So working on simply speaking our minds um, doesn't mean being rude or aggressive, but it means being comfortable sharing your thoughts honestly. So instead of apologizing when sharing your convictions, getting straight to the point and being direct might sound something like, actually, I see the situation differently and then proceeding to explain. So it's not saying you're wrong, I'm right. You know, the difference of opinion means that I'm, you know, I don't know, above you, you're below me, inferior, superior, whatever. It doesn't mean that at all. It just means being direct and letting these two kind of differences of opinion coexist, you know, and and learning to accept and kind of be okay with that and feel more comfortable in that. So it's okay to appear passionate also. So having a strong passion about something can be perceived as a form of confidence if it's just portrayed in an honest way. It's also important not to attack or threaten others. So being aggressive and being confident are two completely different things. So if someone gets angry or hostile when others are challenging them, this makes them look more insecure um, in themselves and their opinions. So it's always important, like Sharissa was saying, to let others talk and voice their side of things. So if someone disagrees with you or has a different point of view, allow them to say so without interrupting. Acknowledge what they say in a polite fashion. So for example, okay, I see what you're saying. Thank you for sharing that. Confidence is not about winning. It's about finding a solution that works for everyone. So don't focus on whether or not you see eye to eye with a person exactly. Look for ways everyone can compromise. If you're feeling frustrated by a situation, focus on accepting the present rather than concentrating on justifying those negative feelings. This is going to enable you to get more clear-eyed and look at the situation and other possible outcomes and solutions. And I think, you know, we've talked before about putting principles before personalities. And I think especially in a workplace, it's important that we do that to put our collective vision, mission, and goals before our differences. Because there are, especially in larger workplaces, like at Spodak, we have upwards of 40 employees. It's a lot of different personalities. It's like personality soup, right? So it's like, there are a lot of differences in opinions and there's a lot of differences in our upbringing and the way that we handle conflict and, you know, things that we've learned in life that, you know, strengths and weaknesses and different, just there's so much that could create conflict. So if we don't practice these things, it's, it's going to lead to a bad outcome. So it's important to kind of learn and hone these skills, especially in communicating when we disagree. Yeah. I love what you said about confidence isn't about winning um, because let's be realistic in, in our hygiene world of having an hour per patient and feeling like we're constantly trying to catch up and having patients show up late. And then you have that whole like, Hey, I don't want to do x-rays today. And you're just like, Oh, I don't want to have this conversation again. Mm-hmm. When you just said confidence isn't about winning. Like when a patient's like, yeah, I don't want to do x-rays. Like we feel that immediate, like, Oh, here we go. But I think, if we will do this in a confident way, it can be a win for everyone. It's finding, like you said, it's finding a solution that works for everyone. So I have, I actually had one this week who came in and she's like, yeah, I don't want to today. And I said, well, tell me more about that. And she said, well, financially, which is, you know, there's a lot going on in their personal life. So she was talking about that. And I said, okay, I totally get that. I said, you know what? I don't want to compromise your care. You've had a lot of dentistry done in the past. I, I wish that I had, you know, Superman vision. I don't yet. I'm still working on it. But in the meantime, I want to be able to take the best care of you. And it's been a year. I really want to make sure everything's okay. 
why don't we compromise? You know, in our practice, we take the four bite wings and then the three anterior PAs as kind of our, our set. I said, what if I do that whole set, but I only charge you for the four bite wings and I don't charge out for the PAs and that would be this amount. And she, she appreciated that. And she's like, oh, okay, yeah, that would be great. And I said, perfect. That way I get to make sure everything's okay, but it's not as stressful on you. And it doesn't cost us anything to take a PA. So why not? Um, I have another patient who, he, is, he can be very forceful um, and he was basically, he doesn't have insurance, so that's not a factor for him, but he kind of said to me, hey, I don't want to do x-rays like really ever. And I said, well, actually, I can't treat you that way. You know, I can't see what I can't see. And that's, that is definitely an, a standard part of our assessments that allows me to really make sure things are healthy. So why don't we sit down and kind of create a frequency for you that we will agree to. And so we did, we like, he's a perio maintenance. So we, we actually kind of created our own little contract um, of when we would do what. And it's, and he actually respected that. And going forward, you know, there's never any argument. There's never any questions. So there's always ways to work around those moments in a confident way that helps everyone kind of win. And obviously if you have those patients that are just like, nope, I'm never doing that, then okay, I'm sorry, we're not a good fit for our practice. And that's okay too. And you can be confident in that. Um, but I think our next area is to express gratitude. So obviously confident people understand that they did not get where they are alone. Many people conflate confidence and, as er and arrogance, but confidence is about being able to express appreciation. We know that somebody else helped us get here and we appreciate it and we're grateful for it. So work on expressing gratitude to toward others. Thank people for sharing their point of view helping you out with a problem or anything else that comes up throughout the day. So teammates and coworkers obviously will appreciate that, um, that you think about them not as optimal stepping stones to success, but as real people that you trust and care about and honestly need. It's nice to be needed. We want to be leaned on. And I think I, I always say people will do more for you when they feel appreciated. So that's a great way to exude confidence is to appreciate those around you uh, verbally and openly and ideally in front of others. I think that helps even more. Um, obviously, maintaining eye contact is huge when talking to someone. Um, and this is a really easy way too in reading patients to see those patients that are nervous. Um, you know, I, I'm not the hugest fan, if I'm being honest, of all these smart watches now. <laughs> Because at first I'm like thinking like, are they, are they like short on time? Like, am I like, I'm like reading off of them as they keep looking at their watch. And then now I'm, now I just know that they're, they've got an email buzzing. But um, I think eye contact is one of those really important things to show that you are engaged. And if your patient's not doing that with you, it's a great time to check in and just say, Hey, tell me what you're thinking right now. How are you feeling about what I'm saying? Um, but don't stare blankly. Obviously you want to make eye contact for about 10 seconds and then glance away. So you're not like staring them down. This is not an inquisition. Um, and just, you know, avoid from looking down or having a slumped posture. These are things that really send that message that, Hey, you're important to me. I'm here for you. I know what I'm talking about. And especially when we're doing those like pre-framed verbiages that we know that we could say in our sleep, it's easy to just like kind of trail off keep that eye contact while you're doing it, it really does come across as, hey, she knows or he knows what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, another um, thing that we can do to increase how we come across 
and how our communication lands on patients is to assess patients thoroughly at each visit in a standardized fashion. So practicing and preparing verbiage in advance, asking for help from another team member, scheduling training when needed. So some of this involves vulnerability, right? Asking for help, scheduling training, admitting we don't know it all like we were talking about before, Um, owning your schedule, giving yourself adequate time and resources to provide excellent care. So these things are all things that we can do before we ever really see patients to increase our confidence when we are seeing our patients. So we can really only be as confident as our evaluation is thorough also, right? So in order to collaborate with other doctors and treat our patients as a whole, we, we've got to be using all the diagnostic and assessment tools in our tool belt. So it's important when we're talking about confidence sometimes to bring it back to the basics, the things that we learned in hygiene school, um, the actual clinical competencies, right? Um, so a comp perio exam once per year, taking those radiographs annually, or, you know, negotiating a contract, keeping it within legal and ethical limits, but, you know, meeting the patient where they're at while making sure that we're holding up our end of the bargain and our due diligence. So oral cancer screening at each visit, mal and patty evaluation, salivary testing, blood pressure, and collaborating with specialists when appropriate, of course. So The other component of this, so that's our clinical evaluation, right? Those are the pieces of the clinical evaluation that have to be there consistently in order for the the patient to be able to basically sense some level of dependability on our end. Another part of this, right, is owning our schedule, giving ourselves that adequate amount of time and the resources, using the resources that we have available to us to provide excellent care. So some ways that we can do this are showing up early loading our appointment cards for the day, preparing our trays in advance, um, dedicating the appropriate amount of time for each procedure. So not shortening something to squeeze a person in if that's not going to be what's best for each patient. Um, This this can really be tailored to each of our individual needs, right? Because each of us works at kind of a different pace. I'm really thankful that I have a lot of autonomy in my practice to be able to schedule as much time or as little time as I need for an appointment as I see fit. And as I get to know my particular patients, one of my patients, I may need an hour and 15 minutes for every single time. Another person I might need 50 minutes, you know, and that's kind of how I run my schedule generally. Um, Making sure that we're organized and prepared for our day and for each procedure we have enrolled is one way that we lead patients in our, and our practice. Um, It's a way that we communicate to them that we have, that the care that we're recommending for them is as important as we have portrayed and that we value it as much as we said we did. So it sends a message that we prioritize their time and their needs as much as they do. And it also portrays to them that we are confident in the recommendations that we're making and we really believe in what we're saying. Yeah, for sure. So we talked about how to be confident in you know, what we're saying and how we're saying it and how our body language is communicating that and in the assessments we're taking. And I want to take a little bit of a turn here and talk about how we behave in a confident fashion. Um, And what I mean by that is one example is take responsibility for your actions. Be confident in what you're doing. Um, Confident people are comfortable with themselves, mistakes and all. And I, it's funny, I was actually just having a conversation yesterday with my assistant. Um, Anytime 
she gets called out on a mistake, she gets really, really defensive and, and, you know, just kind of gets flustered. And I was just saying to her yesterday, I'm like, look, the reality is we're always going to make mistakes. We're always going to have failure. That is part of life, but that's your opportunity to learn from it. And when somebody says, Hey, this didn't happen, right. Instead of getting defensive, just go, Oh my gosh, you know what? You're right. I'm going to do that better next time. And that's a point of learning and growth. And then it brings confidence for next time. So Taking responsibility is really important. Competent people are able to recognize they are the only people who can make their life unfold the way they want. So instead of blaming circumstances or, um, you know, other people, you want to work on acknowledging your responsibility for what occurs around you. For example, if you're late to work because of a late train, don't think it's, it's the subway system's fault. Think something like this was an unfortunate occurrence, but I should have left a little earlier. I know trains are late a lot. And then try to do better the following day. It's not an indictment on who you are as a human being. Keep going forward. Um, if you feel like you're in control of yourself and your actions, this will result in you feeling more confident. You're not just at the whims of the world. The second thing is stick to your plans. Confident people are able to achieve their goals. If you want to look more confident, make a plan and stick to it. If you, for example, want to finish a project for work by a deadline, complete that deadline. So set goals for yourself with certain steps to achieve these goals. For example, if you're trying to complete something by a deadline, set goals for how much work you'll need to do each day leading up to that deadline. And make sure that those goals obviously are realistic. Um, you know, don't bite off more than you can chew. That's a sure way to undermine your confidence. But know too that obviously we've been around the, the block of time or two to know that you're going to make mistakes. There's going to be roadblocks. Things are going to happen. So when you do have failures or you do miss deadlines, again, give yourself grace and let it be a learning and stepping stone for the next time. Yep. And, you know, it's important also that we don't, that we're not afraid to admit when we're wrong. So confidence means being comfortable with our choices, including our mistakes. So if you screwed something up or misjudged a situation, it's important that we don't avoid taking responsibility. We're always going to look more confident when we can admit when we were wrong um, than sticking to our convictions past the point of reason. So it's it's important, like like Sharisa just said, it's not about it's not an indictment of our value as a human being if we do something wrong or we make a mistake. Um, I think a part of being confident and knowing who we are is the ability to say like my, my action, I always want my actions to reflect my values. And maybe in this instance, my action didn't reflect my value and taking responsibility for that. So also, you know, if you make a silly mistake, don't be afraid of laughing a little bit at yourself by showing that you're okay with being a human and messing up once in a while, it proves you're actually secure in your own inherent self-worth. If you're wrong about something, say something like, oh, sorry, that was a mistake on my part. It's okay to apologize for misjudging something. However, don't apologize for things like your feelings and being human. If you, for example, missed work for being sick, don't apologize for this. This isn't something that could have been prevented. So we don't have to apologize for our humanity and for taking up space. Um, but it's also okay to acknowledge like if, if we did make a mistake. Absolutely. I think all of us as hygienists would agree that hygiene is the lifeblood of the practice. Um, we get to be the liaison between our doctors and our patients, um, and even the doctors and the rest of the team sometimes. And patients tend to trust us um, and the assistants more than anyone else in the practice because they see us more. 
They're having more personal conversations with us. We have more one-on-one FaceTime with them. They see us again and again every six months and we get to know them and share life with them. And so we really do build that rapport and that relationship. Um, and so, you know, we know patients can't diagnose themselves. They don't, they don't read x-rays. And in most cases, they don't know if they're getting really high quality dental care or not, but they always remember how we made them feel. And when we come across confidently, we make them feel like we are taking great care of them. We know what we're doing. We're giving them great guidance. We're giving them great treatment. Um, you know, they remember the time that we spend with them and the connection we have, and that's what keeps them coming back. Um, new patients accept about 10 to 20% of what our doctors recommend. Um, but I will say that I feel like that sometimes those numbers go even higher when that conversation happens in the hygiene op. Um, and I, we always try to pre-frame for our docs any, any issues that we see so that by the time the doctor comes in, we've already had the conversation. The patient knows what's going on. They've seen the, the pictures, they, you know, heard, heard all the information and we've even thrown out some possible solutions. So they kind of have already asked some questions and, you know, now they're just kind of looking for the doc to say, yeah, I think that's what we should do. Or no, I think this is a better move, but give them that guidance. But because we've already built that rapport and they have their trust in us, I feel like those, those uh, enrollment rates are higher. And I have had, I'm sure Brittany, you've probably had this before too, where I'll, you know, do all the things, show them what's going on, have the conversation. The doctor comes in for the exam. He makes a recommendation. He walks out and they literally look at me and go, would you do that? (laughs) And it's, and I think it's because they know us well enough to know you're going to tell me the right thing. I had a guy yesterday who asked me like, what would you do in this case? So I think we just have to be mindful of the responsibility we bear and, and see that as such a great opportunity in the relationships that we build. Um, and I just think, you know, every day we're leading our patients to understand and accept their state of health or disease. And because of this, they're either going to say yes or no to treatment. And obviously that's going to help our practice. So um, I want to just, you know, see if there's any last minute thoughts you have for me as we are talking about the confidence game. And, um, you know, I'll say personally for me, I know this is, it's been a long game in a long time, but I will say from the beginning and for a long time in my career, I didn't have a whole lot of confidence in what I was saying. Um, you know, I did let people railroad me and I, and I did feel uncertain when I had to present, you know, large financial treatment plans and, and things that, that I would daunting to someone else. And it took some years of experience because I think confidence does come through experience. Um, But it also took people coming around me and seeing other people do it in a confident way and and having other people believe in me that really got me to the And then obviously I always say learning about the oral systemic connection made me think, okay, I got to do that. Like, this is a big deal. But what would you say have been big confidence builders for you in your career? So for me, I think a few key things are like this probably sounds a little weird to some people, but getting to know myself really well, um, what my values are, what my personal goals are, like just, just getting to know what my likes and dislikes are, where I want to go in my career, just knowing who I am as a person, as a professional, like just coming into acceptance of who I am, all my strengths, my weaknesses, my faults, my failures, my this, my that have helped me immensely. And I have a lot of um, like mentors on a personal level, like a lot of women who 
um, have learned to overcome like challenges in their lives, different mindsets, you know, overcome difficult situations, relationships. Like I have a lot of people that I really lean on to kind of learn about what worked for them and what might work for me. Like, but it, it really was getting to know myself really, really well, which took a lot of time. And also um, just practicing, you know, failing at different things, like looking silly, having to ask for help a lot, like um, big pieces of the puzzle and just overcoming that feeling and belief that if I ask the question, I'm going to look stupid or if I don't know, it means I'm wrong or I'm not smart or like whatever, you know, just overcoming a lot of like those automatic negative thoughts that we've talked about so many times. And then another thing, another huge piece of the puzzle for me was overcoming comparing myself to other people and comparing the journey and who I am as a professional to who others are as professionals or, or where they want to go or what they think is important. Like those have been some major things for me. So it's not so much like, you know, in the operatory, what has happened or what has changed. It's been a lot of the things that happened for me outside of the operatory that have really transformed who I am as a clinician because it transformed who I am as a person. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. And I think that will uh, resonate with a lot of our listeners. Well, I hope it's been helpful for everyone. Um, You heard us say a lot of times, lean in, you know, if you know you need growth, if you know you need support, we just talked about how, how great mentors have, have been in getting us there. Um, so if you have yet to join our Mighty Network, please do so. It, it's free to join. You just download the Mighty Network app um, and then search Bulletproof Hygiene and come join the community and chime in, ask questions, lean in. Um, you know, you can send us private messages. I do have people that reach out weekly just to say, hey, how are you doing this? Or what do you think about this? It is a great community for us to share and grow. And speaking of great opportunities to share and grow, um, we have our next Bulletproof Summit coming up in 2023. It's going to be here before we know it. And this year it is going to be in Las Vegas. So super, super exciting. Um, We have not yet released the dates. If you want to be apprised of all the details and as soon as that rolls out, just go to bulletproofsummit.com and sign up with your email. And that way, as soon as we have all the details, we will get them to you and you can come see us in person and we can all hang out together and lean on each other in person. So it's been great spending some time with you guys this week. I hope you have a great, confident week and we will see you next time. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Bulletproof Hygiene Podcast. We hope you've had as much fun as we have. Don't forget to click subscribe for a lot more where this came from. We appreciate your support and promise to keep the hygiene gems coming. Keep track of upcoming Bulletproof Hygiene events by visiting bulletproofhygiene.com or download the Mighty Networks app and search Bulletproof Hygiene to stay connected. We want to hear from you.